This podcast is brought to you by United Bank, the community bank of the nation's capital. This is Let's Have a Drink, a podcast from BizNow Media, where we grab a drink with the people who are shaping real estate in and around Washington, D.C. I'm Ethan Rothstein, BizNow's East Coast editor. Today, we're having tea with Ben Miller, the CEO and co-founder of Fundrise. Ben, how's it going? Fundrise is an online investment platform where people can spend as little as $500 to invest directly in commercial real estate entirely online. Fundrise was the first company to apply the concept of crowdfunding to real estate. We meet at Magnolia Wine Bar in DuPont Circle. Uh, Do you have peppermint tea? Like a herbal hot tea? Um, Do you have coffee? Just cream, no sugar. Ben is a DC native, the son of legendary developer Herb Miller who is most famous for building Gallery Place in downtown D.C. But not only did Ben not join the family business right away, he didn't want to, and his father didn't want him to either, at first. Yeah, it actually never occurred to me that I'd be in real estate, and it actually never occurred to my father. Mm-hmm. And I was, um, I just graduated from, from college, and uh, I went to work for Lubert Adler, which is a uh, private equity fund. And the guy, Ira Lubert, basically right, wanted to keep me on, mm-hmm. And, and I, I think I closed a uh, deal for him. In, it was venture capital. And I made, like, he gave me like 40,000 shares as like a bonus. And it, it was only at that moment my father started paying attention. He's like, wait a second, someone else that I know wants my son, but I didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then he started trying to recruit me to work with him. And I re- resisted it for a long time. Mm. My father is like uh, indefatigable. He's just a relentless character, and he once he decides he's going to like he wants something, he will just he's incessant. Eventually, Ben gave in and wound up working for his father for more than a decade. But he was looking for a new challenge. His expertise was in real estate and private equity, but his ambition was for something more. In 2011, he found it along with his brother and a couple of colleagues. If you're looking for to be an entrepreneur. The best thing to do is find a problem, find like a really hairy difficult problem and try to solve it what i came out of to, I, 2008 financial crisis was like oh there's a problem here the financial system is you know totally broke and i came out of it completely disillusioned and then i and fundraise for me was like well what's an alternative is there another way to do this so do you think that because you kind of grew up around it and you know, not necessarily wanting to be a part of it at, at first. Do you think that helped you kind of see maybe the problem a little more clearly and see, you know, kind of a way to fix it? Seeing what real estate was like in like this 80s, where and my father was like a, you know, most of the real estate he did that was really iconic, he did in the, in the 80s. And, and the real estate industry completely changed after 1990. The entire real estate sector became like a financial industry. It really wasn't a financial industry before 1992. And over the last, now, 30 years almost, it's it become like financialized. MBAs, there were no MBAs in real estate in like 1980s. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of cowboys and it was totally different. Everything was funded through individuals. It was all syndication and there was insurance companies, but it was there was no such thing as a private equity fund in the 80s um, for real estate. Um, let alone CMBS, or they're basically no public REITs. And so what you realize essentially is like, these things are synthetics 
there are ways to create financial product out of a real estate asset. They don't ha- it doesn't have to be that way. And so a lot of what Fundrise is, is, is old things new. You know, direct individual investors with the technology allows you to aggregate it and scale it way more efficiently where you, you, you used to have to do this kind of drinks and lunch to raise money. So, you know, you, you found the business, you, you developed kind of like the, the idea and like the tech platform. Um, what was it like in, I guess, the early days trying to you know, get those first investors on board, get those first deals, um, you know, build out your staff? Yeah, I mean, it's the, this whole idea of raising money for real estate through the internet, really raising equity or capital through the internet was like, just didn't exist in 2011. And when I used to tell people in 2011 or 12 or 13 that we were going to do that, people thought we were crazy. Like, that's just that's like, what do you do? That's like, it's just, it sounds silly. It was like, Airbnb to me sounded silly when I first heard it. Yeah. People were like, oh, I'm going to let some stranger sleep on my couch. They're like, that sounds like a terrible idea. And basically how real estate people were in the beginning. And then um, around 2014, I think people started saying, well, that's like kind of a novel idea. And now 2019 or 18, basically people say, oh, that's obvious. Like everybody's doing it. How are you different? Uh, but it's so early in, the, in this sort of transformation that, that at the moment, the tra- most of the traditional players don't think it's relevant to them. Was there like a moment in those early days where there was like something click where like people are starting to get this, or maybe <laughs> contrary, like in the moment in the early days where like people aren't getting this, and you know it's not gonna, maybe it won't work. So uh, um, you know I'm a real estate guy, and I spent years learning the tech, not just like you know programming, but learning, which I'm not, a, I'm not a programmer, learning like how to think about it. And what they'll say is that you want to find businesses with a long tail. And I thought I understood it, and then I lived it. We had 175 investors, and then we doubled, and we had 350 investors, and we doubled, we had 700 investors, and that was two years. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh my God, this is, this is like hopeless. And so I spent years basically feeling like it was hopeless and we double, and we have 1,400 investors, and it'd be $2 million, and people would laugh at us. And then we'd have 3,000 investors, and, and, and then we'd have you know, 50, and basically, it wasn't until like maybe like a, a year or so ago where we started having tens of, tens of thousands of investors that like, we started saying, okay, wait a second. Like, so we spent five, maybe longer, five, more than five years, six years, like on what felt not hopeless, but Low hope, hope low. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially because I mean, I know the early deals were they said those very small, like kind of like inline DC properties. Uh, Western development is famous for these really neighborhood changing oh, yeah. uh, developments. So I would imagine, you know, maybe if you came from a, a smaller company, you wouldn't feel so small. But you know, your experience was completely different from the type of deals you were doing. I mean, part of the genesis of it was that like previous deals I've been doing in Western, you know, we raised. 30 million in equity check, 50 million equity check, you know, 200 million dollar development, 300 million dollar development, and then I was trying to raise money for a, I was trying to raise two million dollars and I couldn't raise it. And I was like, what is going? What is this? I couldn't raise two million dollars of debt or two million dollars equity because they said, oh, this is too small and this is not worth my time. And and when it took us a year and a half to convince the securities regulators, create the web platform, and then launch it. 
and raised three hundred fifty thousand dollars in 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 eighteen months. Mm-hmm. I was I really I thought that I was like, well this is pointless. I think one of the benefits of the long tail or the long road to get to a scale is that it's going to be harder to copy because mm-hmm. how many people want to spend half a decade in the wilderness just to get to where we are like where we were two years ago talk about kind of like what sort of investing you're doing now that you now that you've reached that long tail you know you've raised those funds so what how are you directing that money now how has your investment strategy evolved yeah, I mean, it's, 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 every time we grow, we, we, we discover new, new pain to grow through, growing pains. Um, one of the people Ted said to me like early on, when you're building a business like this, it starts as a family and then becomes a, villi- a tribe and then becomes a village and then you become a, I don't know, a city. And, and each time you make those transitions, like you have new challenges, new organizational dynamics. And so I've gone through went from family to tribe and transitioning to a village in terms of number of people, 100 people, 200 people, you start getting to that. And it just requires totally different things from, from the leadership. And then in terms of what we invest in, the market is so mature and so it's so thin and there's so much money chasing so few opportunities that you, 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 know, you, you really have to be not just conservative, everybody says they're conservative. You have to be willing to basically take short-term pain for long-term uh, uh, performance, and that's is that tough to convince? I mean, investors who are not, you know, not traditional. I mean, I don't know what sort of interaction you have with your investors, but convincing someone to put a thousand dollars and say hey, you're gonna, you might have short-term pain, it's a different game. Yeah, though. I mean, it, it, this is one of the way, what benefits is going direct because I, I will tell investors here, this is what's going. This look, we're going to basically be more conservative right now. Your returns would be, we expect your returns to be lower. And, and if you're not okay with that, you should, you know, you should basically redeem out and, and not invest with us because you know, great returns don't come in a linear fashion. You have to be a maverick or you have to basically go in a different direction than the market because the market basically will give you mediocrity and then there'll be a financial crisis and wipe you out. Coming up, Ben talks hype and disillusionment over the Opportunity Zone program and the future of real estate crowdfunding. What makes United Bank the community bank of the nation's capital? United Bank puts their customers and communities first. That means listening before developing solutions and aligning their approach with your goals. Combine that with extensive local knowledge and a focus on personal relationships, and it's no wonder Washingtonians choose United Bank. Bankwithunited.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. So let's talk about a little things we're doing now because we, we've written about a couple of uh, initiatives the Fundrise is doing, including uh, Amazon HQ2. It must have been within a day of the announcement, I think I got a press release, that you guys are raising a fund to invest in property. So, I mean, what did you decide to like? You know, we should get in on maybe these things that are capturing the imagination of people, so that they, if they want to invest specifically, we can tell you can invest in a fund that's for this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the best advantages of, of what we're doing or using technology is you can go so much faster mm-hmm. than everybody else. I mean, it, a normal fund takes 18 months to raise and three years to deploy, and we'll raise and deploy in weeks, days. That's that's got to be an advantage. 
that we took a calculated risk. We thought Amazon was going to land there. It had some, some decent market intel, and we were buying before they came mm-hmm. um, on a calculated bet. And so we calculated. I mean, is the downside was you own good real estate in D.C. The upside is you were right about Amazon. You can't. Now Amazon's priced into the market. You can't buy that real estate for close to the price that you could buy before they announced. Let's talk about opportunity zones. I mean, other than Amazon, it's all the industry to be able to talk about for, for the last year. Um, they said like, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market about like what's what it's going to mean um, and like how do you like deploy this stuff. So where do you see the opportunity? For- opportunity zones are um, such a gift for our business model because the nature of opportunity zone is different than real estate capital, the traditional real estate capital markets. Most real estate capital comes from institutions. Most institutions do not pay taxes. Pension funds don't pay taxes, endowments don't pay taxes. And so the, the fundamental benefit is for an individual and, and most in private real estate players don't raise money for individuals. We do, mm. in enormous scale. And so all of a sudden you've created a, a incredible incentive. There's not an entirely new sector for an individual invest in real estate. And so it's a, an extraordinarily fortunate event for us. And, um, and I think it's gonna have like, great positive impact for us um, in terms of our growth and in terms of like the kind of real estate we get to do. The second thing about it is that is the question is that, okay, it's a great opportunity. Opportunity zones are bring a new investor to the table for real estate. What do you invest in it? And what opportunity zones tell you to go do is what we want to be doing anyways, what we have been doing at Fundrise and what I was doing with my, you know, for decades before Fundrise, which is investing in emerging neighborhoods, creating, uh, uh, driving and creating neighborhood growth with the right kind of mixed-use retail-driven projects. Never could have imagined that they would pass a tax bill that would give incentives to people to invest in emerging neighborhoods. You know, the conversation has shifted somewhat to like, you know, this is such a great idea, such a great opportunity, like let's, you know, let's get money, money, money. And now it's like, well, you know, let's take a step back and say, like, what is this money actually going to? Is this going to fulfill the spirit of, like, the law? So um, there's a company called Gardner. It's a tech, tech, tech uh, consulting company. And they have uh, they invented some. They have this idea called the, the hype curve. And the hype curve says, you know, when some new technology gets invented, it has this, like, spike. Because people think so. Like, change the world. AI is going to change the world. Driverless cars. The Internet. And, and then basically people start to like, recognize that it's an overstatement and then, the, and then the hype curve, it crashes and people get disillusioned and then, they, and then it, it, it swings too far and people say, oh, this is, not, this, is, this is hype. And I think we're just now hitting, we're starting on the downward slope of, of disillusionment around opportunity zones and it's, and it's disillusionment around, hey, I thought, it, I, I was going to get all this capital. I'm a real estate sponsor, and I thought I'd get money for this deal. I thought I'd be easily raise money for some fund. I thought that, you know, or I thought the impact would be, you know, would just change neighborhoods overnight. And so a lot of people were actually were raising these concerns about 
Social Impact are reacting to the hype, but the hype was just talk. By the end of this year, people will basically start writing them off. Mm -hmm. And then it'll basically, then like two or three years from now, people will realize they were extraordinary, but only for, but not for a lot of the traditional players, only for, I think, a, a, a sector or a, sec, a, a niche of the real estate industry. Well, I want to talk about that, um, kind of like the hype curve, yeah. uh, which happened with fund, uh, crowdfunding. I mean, happened with crowdfunding. Uh, I mean, you know, Kickstarter and all that. I mean, well, real, fun, real estate crowdfunding. I mean, yeah. so they, so real estate crowdfunding, I remember what I've been up. We invented it. It became hyped, uh, I think 2014, 2015. Lots of money. I mean, there must have been a hundred copycats. I mean, one funding round announcement after another. Now it's crashed, totally disillusioned. Most of the people who are in the space competing with us are, will be gone within 24 months. They will not, the most will not last out two years. Uh, certainly if there's a financial recession, if there's a recession, they're all gone. There might be one, there might be another one left on that. Maybe one or two at most. People don't think it matters. People think it's basically cutesy, mm -hmm. and that's okay with me. But now, when you walk into you know like a meeting with someone, aren't they be like, do you get like, the, are you still doing crowdfunding? Is that still is that still a thing? people are confused by it? But most of the other people who are quote crowdfunders are basically not funding anymore. Mm -hmm. And at this point, our scale is uh, it just doesn't matter what people think. Right? How many invest? I mean, what's your scale now? I mean, uh, I mean, this year we should invest between 500 and 600 million dollars. So wow! Compare that to two two years ago. I mean, two years ago it was uh, 100, mm -hmm. 25, really. That's a what a fivefold fivefold increase in two years. I mean, do you have now now that you're you know you've had the long tail? You, I guess what's next? I mean, putting a possible recession aside. I mean, of all th all things created equal. Um, you know, what are your short-term, long-term long goals? I mean, now we get to actually mess things up for the industry. Mm. Now we get to really start to change things because we had to get to a scale where we actually can start using the power that, like, we had to, took us, you know, arguably a decade to get, get here. It's, um, it's still early for us despite the, the sort of, like, the growth curve we're in. An inspiration is Amazon, not, not, not to be too cliched. If you look at his um, business and then if you look, he, he, he started in the early 90s, like 94 I think, and in, and in 2002 his stock price was down 98% from peak. Think about that. Eight, you know, eight years into his business, he like on paper had wiped out 98% of the value of the stock. And so it's like a, you know, anybody who's doing something that think fundamental knows it's going to take a long time, it's going to be a difficult path. No question the internet is going to fundamentally change real estate and real estate capital markets. It's just going to take more time than people thought, and it's going to happen. But when it happens, people will look back and actually say, well, that happened sort of all at once. All right, well, thanks so much for, for taking the time out here. Thanks so much for, uh, for helping, us, helping us launch this thing. I really appreciate it. This is great. Miriam Hall is the creator and executive producer of Let's Have a Drink. Its supervising producer is Mark Bonner. Travis Gonzalez is the audio editor. 